What I learned in that moment was we cannot be what we're not, but we can be great at what we are, and then we can see if people will collaborate with us. Hello and welcome to The Mental Game of Musical Theater. I'm your host, David Eggers. Let's get started. Hello and welcome. I'm so excited that we have with us today one of my favorite people in the world, not only on stage, but also off. She's a dear friend and we've also worked together a couple of times, Kelly O'Hara. Hi, Kelly. Hi, David. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. First of all, I cannot believe that you're here because literally you just closed a show yesterday and here you are the next morning getting on your computer to do a podcast with me. Wow. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk about that, but before we get into it, let me just kind of remind people a little bit of your journey through musical theater and as an actor and performer, singer, everything that you've been doing. It's an impressive resume, Kelly. I've got here a whole list of shows, titles that we all know. Jekyll and Hyde, I think maybe that was a national tour, if I'm not, if I'm correct, yes. Um, and, then went, and then went into the broad, that's how I made my debut, yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you debuted in that? In the, yeah, Broadway? I moved from the tour into the Broadway company. Oh, dream come true, hello, <laughs> that's exciting. Um, followed that up with Follies on Broadway, the 2001 revival. Sweet Smell of Success uh, with my husband. Hello, Eric Scotto. <laughs> um, uh, Dracula, The Light in the Piazza. That was, I believe, your first Tony nomination. Amazing. Uh, the Pajama Game. We shared the stage on that in that show. Yay. So much fun for me. Um, South Pacific. Nice work if you can get it, which was another time I got to work with you as an associate choreographer. I can't wait to talk about that a little bit. That'll be fun. The Bridges of Madison County, The King and I, which I believe you also did um, on the West End, if, I, if that's, yes. That's that right. And Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And Tokyo too. Wow. I didn't realize that. Oh my gosh. What an adventure. Um, and Kiss Me Kate on Broadway as well. And then just because that's not enough, you've also done incredible shows off Broadway as well as regionally and in the opera. You just recently did The Hours, an incredible opera with Renee Fleming and Joyce. How do you say Joyce's last name? Didonato. Donato, thank you. You also did Cozy uh, Fontuti there, The Merry Widow, again with Renee Fleming, Off-Broadway, done My Fair Lady, Carousel for the New York Philharmonic, My Life with Albertine for Playwrights Horizons, as well as Far From Heaven, these like incredible shows with incredible teens and writers. You've also done some titles that we know like Brigadoom, Bells Are Ringing, Sunday in the Park with George. And then you just closed Days of Wine and Roses. That was at the Atlantic, right? The Atlantic Theater Company. Correct. Wow. And then somehow in there, you're a series regular on The Gilded Age on TV. Also The Accidental Wolf, another half a dozen or more TV credits, as well as several film credits. I don't know how you do it all. And you're a mother and a wife <laughs> and just this amazing career going on. And you just, uh, hello, Days of Wine and Roses. Um, Craig Lucas, Adam Gettle, Michael Greif, incredible team. I hope that that was a good experience. You just closed yesterday? We just closed this portion yesterday. We're, we're very hopeful about a transfer. It's been a labor of love. You know, when 
when your husband and I were doing Sweet Smell of Success, and he can attest, we we all love Brian Darcy James so much, and I was enjoying it so yes. much. Uh, the way the story goes is we closed pretty prematurely that show, but it was a beautiful experience. And I went out to do the first, very first workshop of Light in the Piazza and met Adam Gettle and asked him to write a version of the Days of Wine and Roses for Brian and for me. And so that was 21 <sighs> years ago. And it's taken 21 years, and we just put it on its feet. We've done a lot of workshops over the years, but uh, we finally saw it to the final result. And I'm I'm so proud. You know, I'm proud that I did that because I, I couldn't have known that it would be so rich and fulfilling, and it has. But I also didn't know that I wasn't ready to play it until now. So it's almost like it wow. all happened at the right time, you know. You asked Adam to consider yeah. writing that? Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. And then he went and got no the wife, and then he paired up back up with Craig to write it. And it's it's been extraordinary. It's been an extraordinary journey. Kelly, that is an amazing story. I feel like you just like let us into some like inside baseball that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that you did that. And that was so long ago, Sweet Smell. And 21 years later, here is this beautiful show that you got to perform in and will probably continue to have life where there wasn't a thing. Now there's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and you got to plant that seed and, and star in it. That's amazing. All right. Let's go back in time though, because with that incredible resume of yours, at one point that resume didn't exist. Every accomplished person at one point has no credits, right? They're, they're just getting started. They're starting from zero. So Let's back up in time a little bit and talk about your training where you went to college. Did you go to college? You did, right? I did. I went to Oklahoma City University. I grew up in Oklahoma. And so I wanted to go to that college because of the t- of a teacher there named Florence Birdwell, who ended up changing my life. I heard about her when I was five years old. There was a woman named Susan Powell from my hometown. In fact, all our auditorium was called the Susan Powell Auditorium. And she was Miss America in 1981, and she sang opera. And I remember, and my mom tells me, I was about five years old when I saw her for the first time. And I heard, I found out that she had gone to Oklahoma City University and studied singing with Florence Birdwell. And I, I called her the bird lady. That's how I thought of her. And I thought, I'm going to go there and do that. And you know what? I never changed my mind. From the time you were five years old? Yes. Incredible. <laughs> you were living with intention from a very early age. You knew what you wanted to do. And you got into the college and studied with the person you wanted to study with. That is that alone right there <laughs> is incredible to me. It says something to me too about your sense of self from an early age. Yeah, I mean maybe it didn't I'm sure there were times in there I didn't even sing a note out loud until I was 10. I didn't even know if I could sing. <laughs> you know, it's so funny to think back on it. Yeah, the way the things fell into place, I mean whatever you believe in, you know, divine intervention or sort of energy in the world or whatever, I do look back and I feel really, really lucky. But but you're right. I had no, not only did I not have any idea what would happen or what that means, I certainly didn't even know about New York or Broadway. I, I didn't even watch the Tonys until I was about 21 years old. No way. I grew up on movie musicals. I knew everything about Julie Andrews and Shirley Jones because mm. all I had were the movies. I didn't even have live theater to go see. But I had this one person that was singing live in front of me, and that was Susan Powell. And then this teacher, and I thought, it, it, I think it's it's uh, about choices. And I had the one, you know, <laughs> it's not like the sky was the limit. It, in a way, it was, but it was also I didn't have a lot of example around me, except for mm-hmm. 
there was this one really cool thing that I saw. I set my sights on the one really cool thing. And for me, it just ended up working out. (laughs) And there's a lot of luck, you know? I mean, I look back and I just feel so fortunate about that. Okay, let's go to your college days. Yes. You got to study with the teacher that you had heard of. What was your training like? Were you ready for a big old career as soon as you got out of college? No. You know what? I was really green. I mean, here's the thing. I think some people kind of come out of the gate. You hear about a young Meryl Streep at like 16 and that she was knocking people over. I was not that person. I mean, I think I have grown and will continue to grow with every job I have. I mean, my master's doctorate, PhD program have been in the business on the line, you know, working with you. Um, I, I was, I was in college. I, I quickly got switched to op, an opera major because that's how my voice, you know, that's where it heads. And I didn't even know that I was trying to be a musical theater major and she was, no, we're going to sing opera, which we did, which then leads me to 20 years later when I started to go back into that a tiny bit, but I always wanted to be an actress So I was taking acting classes more than an opera major would take. But then, to be honest, uh, I didn't know where I was headed, but I got my first summer of summer stock at Wichita, where I met Eric for the first time. And I'll be, I want to bring this up because the first time I ever saw a friend, a person that I knew that I had touched was, I saw Annie Get Your Gun and he was in the front line and he winked at me. (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, this is one arm lengths away from me. I could Mm -hmm. do this. I maybe could do this because there's a friend doing it. There's someone I now know in person. Proof of concept. Exactly. You need it. You need it because otherwise it feels like outer space. You feel like, well, that's way over there. I have no connection to that, right? But you get one person and, and that's what I saw. I went to a Broadway show and saw him and I was like, huh, maybe I have a, a better shot at this than I thought. And so when I was finished with college, my senior year, I decided I'm not going to go to grad school for opera. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to go to acting school. I'm going to try to work in theater instead. It was really because you see little examples. And I had nothing. I knew nothing. I didn't know where I was going to stay. Do you remember Gary Kilmer and Sean Amamjame? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I I know Sean. Gary was a music theater of Wichita kid, too, before I was. So Becky Bursler and I, he let us stay on his couch while he was on tour. So we literally had no place to live. We took two suitcases. We, we flew to New York in September after we graduated college and stayed on his couch for one month while we found a place of our own, which was really hard, with two other girls that, that Eric, we all did summer stock with Eric, um, Beth wow. and Megan Osterhouse. That's how it started. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have a job. We didn't have a place to live. We were like, let's just go. The green of it all, the lack of knowledge, I, I, I've always attributed it to the fact that it worked out for me. Because if I had known more, I would have been more scared. You know, we weren't, we weren't reading the New York times, like university of Michigan does, you know, <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who people were. I had no idea about building a resume. I just wanted to get a job. I would have swept the floors to be honest. Yeah. It, little things started to fall in place. You know, I was introduced to Ken Davenport who was at the time state company manager of ragtime. Mm-hmm. So he would sneak me in and I would watch ragtime eight times, you know, that's fall little things like that. I started to kind of, find my way there and audition. And with every single job, I I was learning how to be in this business. I definitely didn't know any of it before I got there. That's incredible to me. What I'm hearing you say is that you just didn't know better. You had the nerve to just like go and have an adventure. Yeah. I think I also was just sort of naively assuming it would work out. And then I Mm. also said to myself, if it doesn't, I'm going to come home. 
like I said, I'll give myself two years to what my dad, quote unquote, I'll flop around in New York City for two years and see what happens. I think it was about exactly two years when I got, I moved from that tour into the broad, I made my Broadway debut and then I stayed. I don't mean to sound like I was dumb or not, not educated. What I did for four years at college on this deserted island of OCU was I learned the craft. I learned to love my craft, to trust it, to believe in it. I knew that I had so far to go, but I got this sort of like foundational craft of like, well, I know how to, I know what music is. I know how to go into a scene, you know, pieces of scene work, those types of things. Um, I, I, I had no idea how much more I had to learn, which I'm still learning every single day of my life. But, you know, I tell the story all the time, just quickly. This is a few years ahead now. I had done a couple of Broadway shows, but basically I had no idea who Marvin Ham Hamlish was. I didn't know what he looked like. I knew he wrote a chorus line. So when I auditioned for Sweet Smell of Success, I thought he was the pianist. You know, it was a lunch break. He played for me. I didn't know to be scared of him or Nick Heitner, who was behind the table, or Craig Cornelia, who was there. I just thought, I'll just audition for these guys and hopefully they'll pick me. You know, I, right. all of those things helped me. And the older I've gotten and the more I know about pressure and the more I know about expectation, I would say it's, it's harder sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I found that to be true as well. With my students, I try to impart this to them all the time is that, first of all, they'll never be more ready than they are as soon as they get out of college. And the stakes are different when, yeah. as soon as they get to New York or wherever, whatever city they're going to. When you don't know the people behind the table, you sort of feel like, whatever, I'm going to go have fun or this is a great opportunity and I'm going to take it for the opportunity that it is just to go yeah. to an audition. And and then, yeah, I, I had the same experience. The more I worked in the city and Broadway and stuff, the more people I knew and the more pressure I felt when I got auditions and I didn't want to let people down behind the table. I felt like there were expectations on what I could bring into the room. If I had a bad day, oh my gosh, I just spiraled after that. Yeah, it's something to talk about. I mean, there are definitely pros and cons. You know, when you walk into a room and you say, oh, hi, Jim. Hi, John. Hi, hi Sandy. Hi, Susie. Or whatever. You mm -hmm. all of a sudden feel, oh, well, I know these people now. This is a different kind of comfort. But what you're also not realizing is it's, you're at now put at a different level. And the expectation of, of providing that level and, and performing at that level. Whereas you come in brand new, it's like the whole adage of some some actresses are the or actors are the best in the first thing they ever do and then they never get better. You know, it's like the whole Julia right. Rob, Julia Roberts pretty woman thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think she does great. I'm a, I'm a yeah, huge yeah. But but some people will say it's because it's the first time we as a an audience experiences someone and it feels like magic. And then all of a sudden you see them for the third and fourth time and you're like, eh, been there, done that, seen that. Right. You know, right. unless you can com continually reinvent yourself, which as human beings, that's a hard thing to do if you don't get the mm -hmm. opportunity or the right material. Mm -hmm. um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Doing something like Days of Wine and Roses, I have learned so much just about myself because I would have never known how I would perform or how well I could do in such a role. It's a, such a different role for me. It's very dark, very dark. I wouldn't have known if I could do it until I got the opportunity to do it, but I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to do it if most people could have chosen that for me because they would have put me in a box that said, that's not what she does. And then I would have said to myself, right, that's not what I do. But because I got the opportunity, I've, I feel like I've grown a thousand years doing this piece because I showed myself that I could do something different. 
But even myself didn't know that. You know, we think I can do everything, but we don't know that. And then there are some people in the world that will never know because you just don't get the job offer or you don't get the opportunity. And so these things are very precarious. Our lives as artists, they're not only confusing because of the limitations put on us, they're confusing by the limitations we put on ourselves. It's one of those things where it's like, you got to be your your own best advocate. You got to hope and try and believe because it's all sort of on faith, if you really think about it. Right. And those first moments back then when there was no resume and you couldn't get a job because you had no resume, but then you couldn't fill up the resume because you couldn't get a job. (laughs) You're the one that has to say, well, gosh, okay, well, maybe I should go and and write a piece for myself, or maybe I should do a reading in a small rehearsal space and invite a few people, or, you know, you have to start to sort of try to build something for yourself mm-hmm. because nobody's going to stick their neck out and make it happen because uh, they're busy trying to make their own thing happen. You know, that's right. That's it's right. kind of survival of the fittest in, in any, in any business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before you booked that national tour, yeah. Right. That first national tour. I, I assume you booked that in New York City after you moved there. Is that correct? Yeah. But let me let me tell you about doors being opened. I mean, here's the thing. We all need doors opened, but it's about what we do when the door when we're inside the door. Right. Yes, so yes. we all need help and that's OK. And we should we should take it. And when I went to OCU, another singer had gone through that program a little bit before me named Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, I think I've heard of her. Yeah. And she had been a student. And as I was an undergrad, I was watching her start, like she had gotten still peer, you know, she was really starting, starting to, starting to take off. And I remember, and in our voice studio, we were sort of put lumped in, I was a little bit lumped into the Kristen slot because we were both opera majors, both singing high coloratura stuff. And knowing, you know, hindsight, we're very, very different, completely different kind of performers. But at the time I was like, oh, there, there's another reason why I Maybe I could do it too, you know. Well, my senior year, sweet Kristen got me an audition with her agents. Otherwise, we had no showcase at that time. Now OCU does, but we didn't. It was my only chance. And my spring break of my senior year, I got to sing and do a monologue for two agents. One agency, but two guys from the same agency. And they they called two of us out of 12, and they were like, you know, well, when you move here, give us a call. I, I auditioned. I started going to open non-equity calls by myself. And in, in fact, they told me to. You should just audition by yourself for a while. But sure enough, and I got some jobs. But that fall, they called me in for the National Tour of Jekyll and Hyde. And I needed that. I never would have gotten that audition, you know. But here's the other thing. You have to have your eyes open at all times. Because before I got the National Tour of Jekyll and Hyde, which most people would say that's how I got my start, which I could then link back to Kristen, right? Well, before that, I went to an open call and got a, got a show called Phantom at the Downtown Cabaret Theater in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I met a guy named Eric Michael Gillette. And he gave me a score and a script of a workshop he was working on. And he said, I don't know if they'll ever recast this lead, but if they do, I think she's you. And that was the sweet smell of success. 
Hey, this is David popping in here to let you know I'm also working on a book all about the mental game of musical theater, and I'd love for you to check it out. Head over to profeggers.com. That's P-R-O-F-E-G-G-E-R-S.com for information and to be one of the first to get your hands on this book. It's going to help you as you prepare for, pursue, and build your career in musical theater. I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you being here. So let's get back to the episode. And I took that book. He gave me his whole script and score. And he said, one of these days, if they ever have auditions, I want you to audition for Susan Hunsecker. And I'm telling you, two years later, I was in Follies. So my career had started. I did Jekyll and Hyde. And then I was in Follies. There was an open call for Susan Hunsecker. And I crashed that audition. I went on my left. I didn't get an audition. I couldn't even get an appointment. You, You didn't have an appointment. You just went? I went on my lunch break and I and I knocked on the door and a guy answered and it was their lunch break and they weren't seeing anybody and there was nobody in the hallway. And I begged them. I said, I, I you don't understand. I'm Susan Hunsecker. I'm your girl. Uh, and he said, uh, my, the pianist is gone. I'll, we'll have to, I'll have to play for you. And I was like, you'll, you're fine. That'll, that's fine with me. And he sat down and he played and he was playing too slow. So I snapped my fingers at him. Very <laughs> we got through it. I read the scene. I didn't know that that was Marvin Hamlish. I didn't know that the other two guys were Nick and, and Craig. And then I got a call back and I, I read with Brian Darcy James. And it was because I met Eric Michael Gillette who gave me that. And then I got I got a small success, which was my first role on Broadway. And so big role. Sometimes it feels like it's the biggest things, but sometimes it's the smallest. You just have to listen. I think you just have to have your eyes open and your ears open. I totally agree. I love that story, Kelly. That is amazing because you never know who's in the audition room, right? Or who you're going to meet. And that's kind of the takeaway from your story. It also happened to me. I went to audition an open call for a show that didn't even happen for like another 10 years. But in that room was a young aspiring choreographer who asked for an extra headshot and resume for me that ended up being Rob Ashford, who then ended up casting me in no less than like three jobs right after that, including a a gig at city center and the out of town of thoroughly modern Millie, which then I also got to bring to Broadway. Um, See, that's the thing you never, and sometimes the audition you're having right then is not the job you're going to get. They're saying mm-hmm. to themselves, this this isn't the one for them, but I'm looking at this person and they're going to be the, doing the job I'm casting next. Sometimes you have to go in just giving your best self, you know, because uh, you might not be right for that role, but someone in that room is about to cast this other thing, you know, so that you also yeah. have to remember that. Every single thing is an opportunity, you know, every single moment. That little addendum to that story when I crashed that audition is that, I was in such a rush because I was worried about getting back to tech rehearsals for Follies that I ran in the, it was down at Chelsea and I ran in and opened the elevator. I got in and the elevator was closing and I heard someone say, please hold it. And I I could have let it go. It was like an inch from closing. And I thought I'm going to be late. And my better sense just stopped the elevator and in got this, came this guy and he was like, thank you so much. I didn't think anything about it. And as I was finishing my audition with those three gentlemen, that man walked in and he was the associate director. And he laughed and he pointed at me. He was like, thanks for holding the elevator. And I just thought to myself, I don't know why I did that, but it's like in all our choices, whether you believe in karma or energy or like I said, divine intervention, it's like be there, be present. You never know what this moment right now 
is is creating in in the rest of your your future. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it isn't just about lucky breaks or having somebody look out for you and getting your foot in the door. It's also how you as a person show up mm. to the work. Yes. To building the relationships because it's such a small and challenging business that we that we get to be part of. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying right there is worth pointing out that people are happy to work with good people. And you right? you said Rob Ashford hired you for three things. One one of the things I know for sure about my career is work begets work begets work begets work because yes, you does. get in that one thing and all of a sudden you create collaborations and you enjoy those people. For instance, Brian Darcy James 21 years ago, Brian Darcy James yesterday, you know, Adam <laughs> Gettle 21 years ago, Adam Gettle yesterday, you know, it's in relationships like these. I mean, I've known you and Eric since I've become an adult, you know, it's all these years. And this is a professional thing we're doing right here. This podcast, it's one of those things where we're, we're remembering and we're making those connections. And sometimes they're personal ones that can cohabitate with, with professional ones, but whatever they are, they're feeding you. They're moving you forward. And that's really important because these we're talking about positive moments, but let's just give the warning of the negative moments are remembered as well. So yes. when we are not at our best, and I'm not talking about making mistakes or not having a good day. It's how you handle those. I remember one of my auditions for My Life with Albertine. I messed up in that audition. By the way, I was going in for the secondary lead, not Albertine. I was being I was being cast for that. And I messed up and I made some sort of joke about it. And there was some mischief in the joke somehow. And they laughed and they said, huh, will you read Albertine for us? Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And they, right actually, they actually said to me, it's because of that that we saw a different side of you. Like, I think I got sort of saucy in my mess up, you know, like in a... Uh-huh jokey way. Anyway, the point of it is, is that can you, can you keep it positive as much as possible? And even in the darkness of self, real self doubt, which I have every day of my life, which I want to talk about. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. But in those moments, sometimes those are the ones that crack the room open because all of the people in the room have that no matter what they pretend or what power they seem to pretend to have. That moment of vulnerability and human nature is so beautiful in an artistic room. See, we're the lucky ones. The more open, the more free, the more broken and honest and truthful we are about those things, the better the art is. As opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, if you're going to go and, uh, you know, interview for brain surgery, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not going to want to so- show your soft side. Not in our business. We're the lucky ones where the honest truth about human nature is what make it, makes us better. Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, I love that you just said that and that you are being vulnerable here in this, in this place as well, talking about dealing with self-doubt. Let's crack some of that open. Confidence in this business, auditioning and nerves and rejection. I mean, there's so much there that we could get into. I feel like I spent a lot of time focusing on confidence and helping my students develop their own self-confidence. That's a good teacher. 
<laughs> because it is such a difficult business that we're that we are trying to enter. We are putting ourselves on the line all the time. We are being judged on our skills and our abilities. And um, sometimes the day goes our way. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the opportunity comes to us. Sometimes it goes to other people. And it's hard not to take that personally, to not allow it to lessen our confidence about ourselves, if that makes any sense. Of course it does. But this is the thing. We are human beings. We are going to have low self-esteem at times. Sometimes the people that seem to have the most have the least. I think there's a middle ground. We don't have to pretend so much, okay? Because here's the thing. I mean, this is something that, that we're riddled with every day of our life. If we would just admit to it. But one of the tools, this isn't about solving anything. This isn't about getting to the top of the mountain and saying, oh, I'm healed. This is about using tools to stay generally strong, generally, which means I am really balancing. This is a balancing act today, but I feel okay, some days there's great feelings, but let's just say we're, our goal is the okay part, right? Well, one of the tools I think that I have to use is if I, if I get into, this, into a warped sense of myself, one of the tools I have to use, especially if I go back to school, if I could teach myself this because I was so riddled more so back then, what am I instead of what am I not? Because when I first got to New York, what I knew that I wasn't was a musical theater singer. I wasn't a pop singer. At the time I moved to New York, Rent was all the rage. Scarlett mm-hmm. Pimpernel, all the Jack, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, all of that stuff was happening. And I was failing. I was going into auditions and tr- singing. I was working with a pop coach. I was screaming, ripping my throat. I was trying to belt. I was trying to do these crazy, crazy things. And what I was doing was I was going into audition rooms and showing them that I was not talented at all. And it was hurting me. It was all those people that saw me were probably thinking, wow, this, why is she doing, why is she even here? This is really unfortunate. She's not talented. And then I remember learning one of the biggest lessons of my life. I was having a really good time doing that phantom and doing the thing. And so when I went in for Jekyll and Hyde, the national tour, I sang an operetta song. I sang Somebody Somewhere from The Most Happy Fella, which is the most soprano song you can sing because I was tired of falling on my face. I just, I was tired of it. I had gone in audition after audition trying to sing a pop song. So I went in for a pop audition and I said, I'm going to sing the song that makes me feel like it's what I am. And then I'll let them see. On this day, on this particular day, Jason Howland, the music director, thank God, he said, okay, she sings. Now let's see if we can work with that. So he had me sing something else. He said, can you straight tone that? So I straight toned that. Can you straight tone that? So I straight toned that. And then he said, okay, let's read the sides. And I read the sides. And then I had a work session. We straight toned a little bit more. We tried a few more things. And then I had my phone call and I got the, I got the job. But if I had gone in and sang a pop song, I would never have gotten a call back because I can't sing pop songs. What I learned in that moment was we cannot be what we're not. (laughs) I mean, but we can be great at what we are and then we can see if people will collaborate with us. Yes. And in for pajama game. And I'm like, can we lower that key? Can we raise (laughs) that key? Can I just not belt that part? And we did. And so I started to learn about myself that I'm worthy of being here maybe, 
but it's not going to be in the way that you said it had to be. But I'm going to see if I can change your mind. And that's how collaboration works. Dancers can do the same thing. It's like, what, what am I? as opposed to what am I not? It's really hard for students and kids these days, I think, because you're only looking at images and imagery of people where it's the the most glamorous version or the most souped up version. But I think if you can go deep inside your foundation and your heart and say, I'm not going to aspire to that. I'm going to just, I'm just going to try to see what it is that I am when I go to sleep at night. What is the truth in my quiet mind? What is the truth there? And I'm going to try to be okay with that today. That's really helpful. Great advice. I can imagine that those who get to hear you speak those words, they're going to take that to heart and really take comfort in who they are, what they bring, and celebrate those parts of themselves mm-hmm. because then they can stand strong and tall and and confidently present what it is that they offer. Yeah, because it's like what we said about the room. The room might be filled with a couple of people so you go in and you sing a, a soprano operetta song for a pop musical and one person at the table may be like, that's stupid. Why is she doing that to themselves? The, there might be another person at the next table saying, oh, well, it's not right for today, but she's perfect for, you know, the most happy fella, which we're doing next week or whatever it is. Right, or, right, right. or the new musical I'm, I've decided to write because I've just fallen in love with this person. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, and so I don't know. It's It's one of those things where... You don't even know what can happen because of exactly who you are. You know, I'm going to quote Ben Platt when he won the Tony and he said, what makes you different is what makes you special. You know, when they were writing Dear Evan Hansen, the character didn't exist before, but they looked at Ben Platt and they said, what what can we make of that? Mm -hmm. And they made Dear Evan Hansen. Let people be moved and let yourself be the muse of something. You know, we we tend to get really down because we're saying, I wish I could be or I'm not that, or I don't sound like that, or I don't look like that. So it's like, well, what do I look like? Or what do I sound like? And then just go. We don't have any other choice. Yeah, right. We can't be anything other than what we are. What we are and what we bring to the room is what we bring to the room. And listen, if you are sort of like Sutton Foster or sort of like Laura Benanti, won't you always be the, the secondary version of her? because she already exists. So why do you want to do that anyway? Maybe once in a while you you realize the person you're going to go sing for doesn't have that great of imagination. So you're trying to give yourself a little boost by saying, huh, well, maybe I'll sing a song like Sutton Foster because I sort of sound like her and I sort of look, maybe that gets you in the door. But let me tell you something. Once you get in the door, erase any of that, because the only thing that's going to move you forward as an artist is when you extricate yourself from Sutton Foster and say, well, no, I'm, I'm my own person. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're just going to be the second sort of not as great version of that other thing. Right. So the only choice we have as artists is to be individuals and to be individually yeah. ourselves. Download the next episode for part two of my conversation with Kelly O'Hara. Hey, thanks for being here today. If you enjoyed this episode at all, please take a moment to leave a review with high marks. You wouldn't believe how much a positive review helps this podcast to reach more people. Then head over to profagers.com to check out my book, all about the mental game of musical theater. And lastly, no matter how you spend the rest of your day, bring enthusiasm to it. You only get this day once, and life keeps getting better and better when you bring enthusiasm to everything that you get to do. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me. Until next time, this is Prof. Eggers signing out.